Hi, friends. This is Pastor Dan Jackson. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Jacobswell Church. My hope and prayer is that this message will be a blessing to you and lead you into worshiping and enjoying our great and gracious God. With that said, let me encourage you to use this message as a supplement to and not a replacement of a local church. Christ did not establish his church simply for us to consume messages, but so that we could be intimately invested in each other's lives as an authentic covenant community. Again, thank you for listening. And if you want more information about Jacobswell Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. When I was in college uh, in my train house, one of the popular movies that we watched was called The Rock. And it's not a family-friendly movie, so I wouldn't recommend it to you. But uh, in the movie, uh, Nicolas Cage and Sean Connery are trying to stop a renegade militia from launching chemical weapons off of Alcatraz, which is called The Rock, into the San Francisco area. And so Nicolas Cage, whose name is Dr. Uh, Godspeed or Goodspeed in the movie, goes around diffusing all these different missiles with uh, chemical weapons on them. And he gets to the final missile with chemical weapons, and he's diffusing it, and of course, the bad guy jumps on him. And they're in this hand-to-hand combat, and he has one of those poisonous uh, chemical balls in his hands, and he takes it, and he shoves it in the bad guy's mouth, and he punches the guy, and it breaks, and the guy, the bad guy instantly dies. Uh, But as a result, he's also exposed to those deadly chemicals. And so he grabs a, a syringe out of his pocket, and he holds it up. And this is kind of the climactic part of the movie. And he stabs himself in the heart and, you know, compresses it to, to inject the adrenaline. And he just like, and he comes alive. And it's, it's this amazing part of the movie. Fast forward 20 years later. We are in the gray room here at church. And we are being trained on how to use EpiPens. Okay? You might see how this is going. This is, this is an EpiPen. Uh, for those of you who don't know what EpiPens are, that, that's one up there. And and it's basically adrenaline. Uh, it's adrenaline. And, and, and the, the appropriate way to use an EpiPen, uh, use it on people who are allergic to, you know, certain food or, or bee stings and things like that. And you take it and you jab it into their thigh. Um, but during this whole training, I'm thinking about the rock. And I'm thinking about this final scene. And I'm like, how much cooler would it be just to take it and, like, jab it in someone's heart and compress it, and then they'd be like, like, it'd be so much more cool that way, wouldn't it be? And so, so anyway, so I, I'm weird enough that I'm thinking about this, and I'm weird enough that I'm like, let me go check online and see if this is ple- feasible or not. And so I go online, and it turns out uh, that it is unlawful to jab an EpiPen into someone's heart. Uh, not only is it unlawful, but it will actually pierce their heart and maybe kill them. Uh, an EpiPen is a very good thing. Uh, It's a life-saving thing if you use it lawfully. But if you use it unlawfully, it can kill someone. It's deadly if you use it unlawfully. Today we are going to, I know you're wondering, how does this have anything to do with the Bible, right? Well, we'll get there. So today's passage is going to focus us on the law of God, uh, specifically the Ten Commandments. And in verse 8, the Apostle Paul's going to say, Now we know that the law is good. The law is good. And he says, if, this is a caveat, if one uses it lawfully. And so just as an EpiPen brings life if used lawfully and brings death if used unlawfully, so the law of God itself 
brings life when used lawfully and brings death when used unlawfully. And sadly, in our world, the majority of the population uses the law of God in unlawful ways, and it brings death to them and to those that they teach. If you would, please open up to 1 Timothy chapter 5. It is page 991 in the Red Bible, if you are in the Red Bible. This is now our second week in 1 Timothy. Uh, last week, we learned that 1 Timothy is written by God himself through the Apostle Paul. And it's written to his disciple Timothy, who is in Ephesus, but it's also written through Timothy to the church of Ephesus, the church of Asia, and the global church then and today as well. And the purpose of the letter, the reason why the letter was written is because false teachers have infiltrated the church and they're trying to reclaim the church. And Paul is explaining to them God's blueprints for the local church, what the church is supposed to look like. And so with that in mind, let's go ahead and dig in. So 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 5 through 11. The aim of our charge is love, that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussions, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their father and mothers for murderers, so the sexual immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. In accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. Let's pray. Lord, may you grow us in our delight of Jesus. Grow us in our delight of the law. We pray you do this through your scriptures, by the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if you've ever played the game Tribon, but you have to figure out where three, what three things have in common. And so let's play this game a little bit. What do these three things have in common? Okay, Ray, a gun, a car, and the law of God. Gun, car, law of God. Well, of course, as we already said, either of these, uh, any of these can, can be used to bring death or bring life because they are very powerful things. But here's the thing, because of each of these, because each of these are so powerful, each one of these requires proper training to show us how to use them lawfully. For a gun, we have hunter safety courses, right? For a car, we have driver's ed. For the law of God, we have 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 5 through 11. And so as we look together at this passage, let us come to it with a place of humility, being trained by God how we are to use his law in a way that gives life and doesn't take it from others. And so there are three things we're going to look at today in regards to the law. The first is the unlawful use of the law, okay? Second is the lawful use of the law. And the third is a gospel test 
of how we use the law. So lawful use of law, unlawful use of law, and the gospel test of how we use the law. And when we say the word law, just so that we're clear, uh, we're talking about God's moral law, which is summarized in the Ten Commandments. Okay, So you can keep that in mind as we go along. And as Pastor Spencer said, this passage is a little bit more academic today. Uh, there's a lot of great stuff to learn, and so you might want to take notes on it. But the, the first thing we, we're going to look at here is the unlawful use of the law. Look at verse 5 with me. This is Paul writing Timothy. He says, the aim of our charge, our charge of proclaiming and defending the truth of God's word, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. And so Paul and Timothy's motivation for confronting these false teachers and these false teachings about the law of God is not to say they're bad and we're good, leave their church and come to our church. That's not why they're doing this. They are teaching these things. They're confronting the false teachers and the false teachings out of love because they want them to know the goodness of the law of God. Verse 6 continues, and it says, certain persons, by swerving from these, that is, sound doctrines and sound teaching in God's word, have wandered away into vain discussions. The, the Greek word for this can literally be translated babble, like the Tower of Babel. People speaking all these different languages and unable to understand one another. And so in their teachings of the law, it's just gibberish. They don't understand what they're talking about. Verse 7 moves on and tells us the motivation of these false teachers. It says, desiring to be teachers of the law. Again, literally, it can be desiring to be rabbis. They want to they be looked up to as, 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 as teachers, as people who know a lot. They want a lot of followers on their social media. They're trying to grow in popularity, and so they come off very confident in what they're doing. You know, I had a friend once say to me, he goes, I will never read a book written by a pastor if the pastor's face is on the front page of that book. He goes, I'll never do it. And I don't know if that is, a, is always the, the right thing to do, but, but what he's communicating is, listen, if the pastor is writing a book about Jesus and the first thing he's trying to do is promote himself, I'm gonna pass. That's what these false teachers were doing. They were trying to promote themselves. They were, they were speaking confidently about something they had no idea about, which was the law of God. And that's what we see here in verse 7. Again, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding, without comprehension, can be so dangerous. Either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. These self-proclaimed teachers teach with such bravado and confidence and persuasiveness that they have convinced others, and maybe even themselves, that they know what they're talking about in regards to the law. But the Apostle Paul and Timothy, who have been theologically trained in the truths of the gospel, can see that their teaching is fraudulent. Let, let me give you an example. Uh, Pastor David's up here, you know, leading music, obviously a very talented guy, right? Well, let's say that I led a class on how to lead music in a worship service, right? Let's say I taught a class on how to carry a tune and how to, how to sing in harmony, right? And I spoke with, with great confidence and, and great you know, bravado in, in what I'm saying. Like, I might be able to convince some people who know nothing about music that I know what I'm talking about. Pastor David would know it's fraudulent right away. If you've ever heard me sing, which some of you have been blessed by, you know it's fraudulent. I don't know anything about it, right? These guys, they don't know anything about the law. 
and yet they write with such confidence. I mean, people do this today on podcasts and blogs, right? They're like, let me tell you how this all works, but really they don't have the knowledge of the law that God has provided for us. And so this leads us to ask the question, how were these people unlawfully using the law? What were they teaching about the law? Well, in, in Christian circles today, we commonly call it legalism. And I, I will define legalism for you here in a bit, but I first want to define what legalism is not, because I think we often get this confused in the church today, okay? So, so here's not the definition of legalism, I guess. Legalism is not when someone loves God's law, okay? If someone loves God's law and seeks to obey God's law, that does not make them a legalist. This is a common misconception. For example, if someone comes up to you and says, hey, you know, I don't think you should be stealing movies online. Or they say, you know, it's good to observe the Sabbath day. Or say, you know, you shouldn't have any graven images of, of God. You, you know, the, the reflex reaction for many Christians is simply say, legalists, right? They're a legalist. Therefore, I don't have to pay any attention to them. But loving and seeking to obey God's law is not legalism. We see this Old Testament through New Testament. Psalm 19, David says this. He says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Would you say this about the Ten Commandments? The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. If someone just came up here and said it, we might go, legalist, right? But this is God's word. What about Jesus? What does Jesus think about the law? Well, Matthew chapter 5, he said, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. And then he warns those who have an unbiblical view of legalism. He says, Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same, as is happening in Ephesus, will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. He's talking about believers. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So David loves the law. Jesus loves the law. What about Paul? Wasn't Paul anti-law, pro-gospel, anti-law? Well, Paul says this very clearly, Romans 7. So the law is holy, and commandment is holy, and righteous good. David loves the law. Jesus loves the law. Paul loves the law. Church, do you love the law of God? If you do not love the law of God, if you do not cherish the law of God, if the law of God is not sweet and reviving to your soul, it is most likely because you have unlawfully understood the law. And if I was honest with you, for me, it depends on the day. Because there are many days that I love sin more than I love the wisdom of God and the law of God. And so legalism is not loving God's commandments and trying to obey God's commandments. But what legalism is, is misusing God's law. This is just a definition we'll use for today. Legalism is misusing God's law. And one way that we misuse God's law is by using God's law as a means of justification. That's a big word. I'll define it here for you in a second. But the Apostle Paul in Romans 3.20 says very clearly, he says, for by works of the law, no human, which includes all of you, being, no human being will be justified in God's sight. 
To be justified before God means to be declared right or righteous, to, to be in a relationship with God, to be acceptable before God. You see, this was never the intention of the law. The law was never given to make us right with God. To use the law in this way would be like using a hammer to try to tighten a screw. A hammer was never made to tighten a screw. The law of God was never meant to justify us and to make us righteous before God. Even today, people will say or think, you know, I'm a good person. I don't murder anyone. I don't commit adultery. I haven't done those things, and so I'm good with God. But this is all based on a premise of false teaching on what the use of the law is. The law is not used to reconcile us to God. That was never its purpose. And so legalism is misusing God's law. And one way that happens a lot is using God's law as a means of justification. Might I just say, like, this is... This is how many churches, so-called churches, use the law of God. This is how, how many people in the world use the moral law of God. This is how every religion except Christianity uses the moral law, as a means of getting right with God, but not Christianity. The second way that we see it being used is misused is adding to God's law and applying it to everyone. You know, sometimes people think the more extra-biblical laws you can have, the more spiritual you are. The one with the most rules is certainly the holiest, Right? We have to be careful not to go beyond what God has written. You see, we all need personal boundaries based on whatever temptations we struggle with. But when we make our personal boundary, we take our personal boundaries and apply them to everyone, that's when we slip into legalism. A quick illustration of this I've I've shared before, and I do get pushback on this at times, but I think is helpful is Green Bay has been ranked as America's drunkest city. That is not something to celebrate. That is something to mourn over because it devastates families. Many of you know that. And so there is a temptation to say no one anywhere should ever drink, right, in the church. People might say that, right? Now, if you struggle with alcoholism, if you struggle with getting drunk, you should not go into a bar. It's not wise. You shouldn't, you shouldn't go into a liquor store. Right? You should keep yourself out of certain situations. You need certain personal boundaries to protect yourself from slipping into sin. It's, it's wise and it's right and it's good for you to do that. But when we take those laws and we apply them to everyone, that's when we leak into legalism. Now, now to be sure, you, know, you, you need to be careful who you're with. And if you know someone who really struggles with you, you need to be careful and love them well. But when we take an extra biblical law, like do not drink, and apply it to everyone, that's when we slip into legalism. And it's always a good sign that you've slipped into legalism is if Jesus does not live up to your standard, right? That's always a good thing. Jesus drank wine. Jesus made wine. Jesus enjoyed wine. And so legalism is misusing God's law. And predominantly happens in two ways, using God's law as a means of justification or making ourselves right with God, which is how most of the world uses the law of God. And then the second is by adding to God's law and applying it to everyone. So these are the unuseful, unlawful uses of the law, and they bring death, as we will see about it, see in a little bit. So that's, that's the first. The second is the lawful use of the law. Okay, so let's look at verse 8 again. It says, now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Again, Paul unequivocally says the law is good, but then he says if, like an EpiPen, you use it lawfully. But how do we use God's moral law lawfully? How do we use 
the Ten Commandments lawfully? Well, historically, Christian theologians have noted that throughout Scripture, there are three lawful ways to use the law of God. And so I briefly want to go through those. The first lawful way to use the law of God is to use the law as a mirror. Now, what is the purpose of a mirror? A mirror reflects reality, right? It reflects a reality that you cannot see on your own, right? You can't see your face without a mirror. A mirror reflects reality. You see, I could go to my wife and I could say, hey, you know, uh, how's my hair look? You know, are my eyes baggy? And, you know, do I have gray hair? And she could lie to me, right? Like she could be nice and say, oh, you look great, honey, right? Like she can do. A mirror never lies. It never lies. It shows you reality. It shows you the physical reality. In the same way, the law of God is perfect and good, and it reflects a spiritual reality. As you look into the perfect and holy and good law of God, it reflects back upon us and shows us how far short we fall, how sinful we are, how depraved we are. And this is not to crush us. It is to lead us to another Savior besides ourselves. It is to lead us to Jesus as our Savior. Romans 3.20 puts it this way. It says, For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. We already talked about that. And then he says, Since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Through the law comes knowledge of sin. Romans 7.7, Paul says this. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said you shall not covet. The holiness of God revealed in his law reveals to us, like a mirror, the sinfulness of our own soul and is to drive us to Jesus. The second lawful use of the law. So the law is a mirror. Second lawful use is the law as a light. You can think of a flashlight. Uh, traditionally, they call it a lamp, but want to update it a little bit. And, and the, the purpose of a light or a flashlight is to show us a path. If we know a destination we want to go to, but, but we can't see, we will use a light to show us the path how to get there. And so um, this, is, this is how Christians are supposed to use the law. Uh, we want to follow Jesus. We want to pursue Jesus. We love Jesus. And the law shows us how we are to do that according to the wisdom of God and not just the wisdom of ourselves. Jesus says in John 14, 15, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Again, these are people who have their eyes on Jesus, that want to follow Jesus and need instruction on how to do that. I think an example of this is if you've ever bought a new board game, right? You get excited to play. You want to play the game. And I don't know if you've ever skipped the instructions, but at some point in time, it gets so frustrating. You're like, all right, we finally have to read the instructions to figure out how to actually play this game, right? In the same way, God says, here are instructions for how you live life to the fullest, how you live at the holiest and happiest, and how you follow Jesus. He gives us these instructions as a light to show us how to chase after Jesus. The third, uh, useful, the third lawful use of the law is to use the law as a harness, um, a harness is, is that thing that goes on a dog, or sometimes people put it on their kids, right, if they're going to run away and they have a leash. I don't know, maybe you've done that. Uh, we have counseling for those. Anyways, um, the harness may seem cruel at first, like, oh, it's keeping this dog from, you know, really living life to the fullest. 
Uh, but the purpose of a harness is, is twofold. One is to protect others, right? And so the dog is harnessed so the dog doesn't attack other dogs or children or people or things like that. So it's to protect others. But a harness also protects the dog. Uh, I mean, if you are walking your dog uh, along a busy street and a squirrel runs across the path into oncoming traffic, a harness will protect the dog from going to its own death. A harness will keep a dog from chasing after a bear that will maul it or keep it from running away where who knows what will happen to it. So a harness, although it restrains, it does it for the good of others, but also the good of the dog. In the same way, the law of God is a harness that restrains the wickedness of humanity as a whole. This is sometimes called the civil use of the law, or it is God's general revelation and common grace to all of mankind, to Christians and non-Christians, to restrain the utter wickedness of society. You know, many people say the world is so bad, but you know what? Without this, it would be so much worse. Romans 2 refers to this when it says, For when Gentiles, I want non-Jewish people, who do not have the law by nature, do what the law requires, so they don't have it in writing, but they're doing it anyways, they are a law to themselves. Even though they do not have the law, they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness. And so people throughout the world, throughout time, who have not had the Bible, who have not had the Ten Commands, have recognized the goodness of the law because of this rightful use of law. They have agreed in society that murder is not good, that stealing is not good, that adultery is not good, and they have written it down for the protection of mankind. Without this, the world would be worse than the Wild West. Without this, the, the world would simply be survival of the fittest, and there would only be one guy left with his harem and a bunch of guns and probably an EpiPen. That's all that would be left. And so to summarize, because this is so important, the lawful use of the law is as a mirror to reveal our sin and drive us to Jesus. The law is a light that shows us how we are to follow Jesus. And the law is a harness to restrain the wickedness of humanity for the good of all of mankind. And so with that in mind, we're going to quickly read. We, we really laid the foundation there. We're going to quickly read through verses 8 through 10. So let's look at verses 8 through 10 again. It says, Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just or the righteous or the innocent, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, right? It shows them their need of a Savior. For the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers to restrain their evil. The sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, right? To learn how we are to follow Christ. And then Paul has this catch-all. He says, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. You know, I, I hear Christians on the radio. I don't hear around here, but people are like, you know, we don't need theology. We don't need doctrine. We just need to love Jesus, right? Sounds so good, but here's the thing. If you don't have doctrine and you don't have theology, you are loving Jesus on your terms and not his. And then the question is, is it even really loving Jesus or just loving yourself? Doctrine and theology are so important because they show us how to more fully love Jesus the way that he has called us to love him. Sound doctrine squares with scripture. Sound doctrine squares with wisdom and godly living. Sound doctrine squares, as we will see in the next verse, with the gospel. 
And so just to recap one more time, when you use the law unlawfully as a checklist to merit God's favor, love, and acceptance, or to try to prove yourself righteous, it will bring death to you and whoever you teach that to because you cannot do it. The law was never intended to do that. But if you use the law lawfully, it brings life physically and spiritually, like a harness that restrains evil in the world, like a mirror that shows us our need for Christ and a Savior, and a light that shows us the best way, the holiest way, God's way of following Jesus. And so we looked at the unlawful use of the law. We looked at the lawful use of the law. Finally, Paul gives us something very interesting. He gives us a litmus test. And the litmus test is the gospel, the gospel testing of our use of the law. Again, verse 10 says the law is laid down for whoever practices you know, wickedness, verse, which we all do. And verse 10 continues and says, Whatever else, or whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. Verse 11, in accordance, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. And so here is Paul's flow of thought on this. I think we have it up here. Paul's flow of thought is this, is that the lawful using of the law leads to sound doctrine and sound doctrine leads to the gospel. And so the lawful use, using of the law to understand that, that, that it is uh, good and perfect and holy and right and something to be cherished, lawfully using the law, not as a means of righteousness, but understanding what God has called us to do, leads us to sound doctrine. Now, doctrine is, is com- completely composed of our understanding of God and our understanding of ourselves, Okay, those are the two, the two parts of doctrine. And what the law does is it shows us how holy God is. Because the, the, the law reflects the goodness and the holiness and the purity and the perfection of God. And so when we read the law and understand the law, it shows us how holy God is, but it also shows us how sinful we are, how far short we fall of God's intention. And so if someone uses the law in an unlawful way, they unfully, unlawfully use the law, and they lead, are led to unsound doctrine, and that unsound doctrine brings God down. It says, you know, God's not that holy. His law's not that holy. I can achieve that. And then it raises, it raises up man. It makes man bigger than he is and says, and we can achieve that law, right? And that's what legalism does. But a lawful understanding of the law of God makes God big, us small, and drives us to the cross of Christ. Let me just catch myself in my notes here, sorry. There's, a, there's an illustration um, from Sonship Material and a diagram which I think I've shared with you before, and it displays this gospel litmus test of the view of the law, and if we're viewing the law appropriately, and in your bulletins you'll have part of this, you can fill in the parts that aren't in there. But when we come to faith in Christ, when we see the law of God and see we fall short of the law of God and we turn to Christ for our salvation. We continue to study the law, to appreciate the law, to love the law. And as we study the law, what happens is it deepens our knowledge of God's holiness. God does not become holier, right? God is is supremely holy. He doesn't become holier. But it deepens our awareness and our knowledge of God's holiness as we study God's law. But the other thing it does is it also deepens 
our knowledge of our sinfulness. It deepens our awareness of our sinfulness. I don't know about you, but whenever I read the Bible, I'm like, oh man, there's sin in my life that I was kind of unaware of yesterday, but I know today. It's like marriage, right? Like when you get married, you're like, wow, I'm way more sinful than I thought I was. The law does the same thing. It reveals our sinfulness. But as it reveals the holiness of God, as it reveals the knowledge of our sinfulness, it makes the cross bigger and bigger and bigger in our hearts. And so here is the litmus test for you. When you look at the law of God, does the cross become smaller or does the cross become bigger? Does Jesus become a non-essential part of the equation or does he become the sweetness of the law of God? If you've ever gotten an email from me, you've probably seen uh, my signature or maybe you haven't read my signature. I know we skip signatures a lot. But at the end of, end of my email, this is what it says, in Christ, Pastor Dan, and then I have this verse. I do not set aside the grace of God for if righteousness could be gained through what? The law, right? Christ died for nothing. He died for no reason. If you could attain righteousness through the law of God, but Christ has come, and he has kept the law perfectly like no one else has. And he has gone to the cross, taken on our sin, and become our sin upon the cross, paid for it in full. He has died, risen again, ascended into heaven, and has now given us his righteousness as he has taken upon our sin. And so God looks as, at us as if we had never sinned, as if we had never broken the law of God, as if we were completely righteous, not by obeying the law, but by trusting the only law keeper, the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for all law, our lawlessness and gave us his perfection. Let me end with this. Um, as many of you know, uh, David Steinbarker, our youth dude, is retiring uh, at this summer, and so we have started a committee looking for the next youth dude, and um, we've interviewed, or we narrowed it down to three candidates, and we are interviewing these candidates as a committee, and one of the questions we asked was, what do you see as a prevalent sin issue in the youth of today? And, and I, can't, I, I think all three of them answered the same way. If not, two of the three did. The, someone on the committee can correct me on that. But, but, but when we asked them, hey, what is the, most, the biggest sin struggle for youth of today? Uh, all of them, I think, said an addiction to screen time. They said screen time. That's, that's what I see as the most prevalent sin issue in teens today. And all the parents said, amen, right? But all the teens said, it's not true. Yeah, so... We understand how that goes. So, so, so in my household, we have certain rules and guidelines and boundaries on screen time, I'm guessing. You do as well. And believe it or not, I know it's hard to believe, uh, but sometimes me and my kids don't agree on what those boundaries should be, right? Like sometimes they think you should remove some of the restraints of, of those things, right? But for us, uh, we give them these rules and these boundaries and these guidelines, not because we hate our kids, exact opposite. We give them because we love our kids, now imagine if, if one of my kids came to me and said, Dad, I have perfectly obeyed your guidelines for screen time. Will you now love me? What I would say is, you have completely misunderstood these rules. You have completely misunderstood the intent of these rules. These rules are not set up so that you could earn my love. They're set up because I already love you and because I want you to live life to the fullest. You see, God has given us his law not because he hates us, not because he wants great obstacles to our happiness. He gives us his law because he 
loves us. His law is an expression of his love for you because he wants you to live life to the fullest. You see, if God did not give us his law, God would be a deadbeat dad. God would be a negligent father. And God would not deserve to be God. God is your father who is intimately involved in your life, who loves you and cares for you, and has given you his law as a gift of his grace that we might love it and cherish it as we know the heart behind it from God himself. A friend texted me the other day. He was listening to a sermon from Psalm chapter one, and in that sermon, uh, it, it says, you know, if you pursue happiness over holiness, you will get neither. But if you pursue holiness over happiness, you will get both. God gives us his law that we might pursue holiness because in pursuing holiness, he gives us happiness. And he says, blessed is the man, happy is the man who dwells on the word of the Lord, who dwells on the law of the Lord. And so friends, my hope for us as a church, as we're looking at the blueprints of the church that God has given to us, is that we would be a church that does not neglect the law, that does not ignore the law, but would lawfully love the law and apply the law that we might more fully enjoy the giver of the law. Let's pray. Lord God, we come confessing that there are many times that we do not love your law because we apply it unlawfully, uh, because we, we see it as a burden and not a blessing, because we think uh, it's used to manipulate us and to love us and, instead of to loving us. And so God, pray that you would forgive us, and God, pray that you would grow our love for you and for your law that you have given to us. May we not use it unlawfully on ourselves or on others because that brings death, but may we use it lawfully to drive us to Christ that we might have life today and forevermore. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.